on this episode of AV Week, the power of AV configuration tools, space ads, and connecting clients with experience centers. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure. Because every voice matters. This is AV Week, episode 623, recorded Friday, July 28th, 2023. AV Show and Tell. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week, first and foremost, Kelly Teal from HGA. Welcome, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you for having me, as always. Absolutely. And uh, a dear old friend uh, from my neck of the woods, uh, Mr. Jeremy Caldera from Pearl Technologies. Welcome, sir. Greetings, everyone. Happy to be here. Uh, absolutely. And I get to hang out with Jeremy next week. We'll talk about that at the end here. Um, I am going to I'm, I'm going to mention this at the beginning. I'm going to mention this at the end. I got two uh, trips hang, coming down the pipeline. One is Cedia, Cedia and CI Expo. That comes your way uh, the 7th through the 9th of September. That's in Denver the very next week. Um, is USCX USA that is the 13th and 14th in Austin? Either one of those kind of floats your boat. Uh, come hang out with with us and, and a whole lot of really other really great really really great folks. So those are the two next things that we've got coming down the pipeline uh, for uh, for Aviation. And I'll be speaking at the CI Expo as well. See, there you go. Oh, I'm not speaking. I'm I'm an influencer. Ah, yeah. I am speaking though at the the, the UCX one though that's kind of cool, and I'm making Chris Neto eat pineapple pizza, um, but that's a different, totally different story. Uh, first story is actually two in one. The one I'm going to leverage here is the Pepsi story, but both um, AV Magazine um, and uh, and a number of other folks have, have gotten a couple of stories about this. The, the Pepsi has has unveiled unveiled plans to launch a quote unquote orbital billboard into the night sky, igniting a fiery debate on the commercialization of space. You heard me, space. Now, there are a number of dystopian movies out there that have something like this. We can go down the road of, oh, my gosh, we have so much space junk. There's an entire crust across around the, 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 the world, but that's beside the point. The proposed satellite equipped with reflective panels aims to project a larger-than-life advertisement visible from Earth. While Pepsi touts the project as an innovative marketing feat that will captivate stargazers, critics argue that it raises ethical questions about the privatization of space and the potential pollution of the night sky. This coupled with another story, that the one from AV Magazine, talking about a holographic uh, image above some of the buses in London. Uh, that is a, it seems to be, though, a, a hologram above the buses. Uh, of a larger-than-life-size card of several uh, European football players. Kelly, I'm going to start with you on this. There's a bunch of different ethical issues here. One is who owns the sky, right? Who owns the space? H here in the States, if, if depending on the, on, the, on the municipality, if you own property, you can put up a physical billboard, right, that you own that space. But there are also height limitations to those you can only go so high depending on on the municipality you 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 live in 
anything above that we kind of figure is all of ours, right? It's communal property. It's community property. If you're, if you're, uh, what's, what's the, the, the monopoly game, you know, it's community, the community bank. The, the first question here though is, is really who, who's going to be in charge of this? Who's going to be in charge of, of pulling back some of the, the te- the AV technology and, and how we regulate this versus nature, I guess, or, or the skies or the communal areas that we all enjoy. Yeah, this kind of falls under the uh, category that's been talked about before about airspace rights or airspace yep. ownership. And I think it's a complex legal, it's a complex legal concept that's obviously varying between uh, one country to another. Um, generally, my understanding is the ownership of airspace is vested in the state or the government, um, which means that airspace above a country country's territory is considered part of the national domain. So I think it's kind of up in the air. And I know that um, space-based advertising makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And and the CubeSats that they're using for this, um, which is typically used for um, space exploration and scientific research, is now kind of being used for advertising. Um, and, And, you know, I think that's also because of due to relatively low cost and ease of deployment. And uh, I know it's, it's never been done before. So it's something new, it makes people uncomfortable, but as, in terms of who can control what's done and, and what is displayed in, in, in space, um, you know, th- that's a good question. I think that's gonna be regulated by the government. Uh, you know, individuals and organizations may have certain rights to use it, but they don't own it, um, such as owning land or property, as you stated. Um, yeah. You know, they're granted privileges or permissions, which is what I think they're doing here. Um, And they're using that airspace for a certain purpose. Typically, we see that for flying aircraft or, you know, uh, building tall structures or, you know, other aerial things. Um, But this is definitely a new concept. And and it's funny because I saw this a while back and Pepsi denied it (laughs) at one point. And they said, we're not doing that. And then they went back to, oh, well, we deployed it using, um, oh, gosh, I don't remember if it was a, a hot air balloon or something similar. And now they're talking about it again. So um, I, I think in terms of um, who oversees it, it's going to be some kind of aviation authority or a similar government body. Um, and, and I don't know what the what the if they're allowed, what they're allowed to, to display, what they're allowed to do, but it sounds like they're, they're basically using their privileges or permissions from the government to do this. So I, I get where everybody's concern is coming from, but um, at the same time, it, it's not being stopped. <laughs> no, it's not. Jeremy, I'll, I'll bring this in and couple it with uh, drones. Um, several municipalities switched from traditional fireworks to using drones this past 4th of July with great effect. Uh, but this, since you can do darn near anything with drones now and, and the right programming and the right technology and the right systems, you could in theory, and I don't want to give anybody ideas because this whole thing makes me nervous, um, but they could also do advertising. They could do, you know, any sort of things in the night sky. I am reminded of Blade Runner and every other dystopian version of the future where everything is advertising. So same question to you is, is, is how do we balance this between 
what we can do and what we should do when it comes to our communal areas. That's the key, right? Should versus could. I think it was a terrible idea all around, right? Um, I don't know. I think it's going to have to be regulated. I think that obviously cost of ownership for the advertising companies, the methodologies of drones or satellites or whatever it is, um, will come down over time. But you're going to only see this in major first world countries, obviously, right, who can afford to sell said advertising to the groups of people who can afford said to purchase whatever this stuff is. And Pepsi's Pepsi, right? But whatever. Um, I just think there's going to be heavy regulation. I don't ever see this happening in the United States, so I'm not worried about this really at all, right? I just don't think it's going to be a thing here. I think it's Have you be... never been to Vegas? Well, I mean, this, there's a difference between billboards and throwing stuff up in the air, man. You know what I mean? There's 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 a safety factor to it. There's, I mean, yeah. I, you're going to see stuff like this happen, right? But I don't know that you're going to see it necessarily in the United States. And if you do, it's going to, it's going to get shut down pretty quick. I mean, that's just my opinion on it, right? Yeah. And I mean, and I also think it's a terrible idea, right? But I mean, again, it's going to come down to the regulating bodies of said government, municipality, state, federal, FCC, or whatever, the FAA. I mean, because you're talking about all kinds of stuff. Um, I mean, even on a hot, much higher level. Look at SpaceX and yeah. look at, um, you know, all the stuff that, that um, Starlink, right? All this, all just the junk that they're throwing up there. Love the idea of worldwide internet. There's a cost benefit analysis. There's a, there's a benefit to the world as much as you want to argue against that kind of stuff of that junk being up in space. But that's a far different outcome and result of technology use than drones or advertising. You know what I mean? So I don't know, man, it's a hairy one. It's a weird one. I just never thought the day would come where this would actually be a thing. You know, there's what I've heard jokes in years past, right? Advertise on the moon and you get to see that. Right. Yep. And, but, you know, who, who owns that space to do that? And would that ever happen? And I always thought that was the craziest thing ever, but here we are a decade away from that happening. <laughs> so. Well, no, nobody owns it because we, we never went. It was a, it was on a soundstage. It was Stanley Cooper. soundstage in yeah. California. Then, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't know. I, I don't think I answered your question, but I just don't think that there's a, a, a proper way to, to, to even look at this uh, other than regulation with government. And as much as I hate government regulation, this is one of those cases where I would be very supportive of it. Right. I agree with that, too. Yeah. All right. Uh, next story comes to us from Yaylink. Uh, sidebar, Yaylink is not a sponsor of Aviation, uh, but my day job, CTI, they are a, a, a partner of ours uh, and also a partner at, at PSNI. They have opened uh, its state-of-the-art uh, customer experience center in Dallas. This facility is designed to showcase Yaylink's cutting-edge products and technologies, offering visitors an immersive and hands-on experience. The center boasts a wide range of interactive displays, including video conferencing, solutions, collaboration endpoints, and more, allowing customers and partners to explore the full potential of Yaylink's offerings. I, I will say this before we get into this. Um, when I first heard that that CTI and, and PSNI was bringing in Yaylink, my first my, my my first reaction was, "Oh, we're we're selling phones now," because that was my experience with Yaylink. Yaylink is is a huge phone manufacturer, but they sell that they have an entire line of of VC and UCC product lines, and that's what they're showing off here. Um, Jeremy, I, I mentioned the fact that they're they're showing this up in in Dallas. Kelly is in Houston. It is not around the corner, and I've learned that about Texas. But you and I are in the middle are, are in the middle middle of the country, right? I'm in St. Louis. Jeremy's halfway between 
here in Chicago, it's not easy for he, he and I to get there. Right. So my question to you is this is, is or something like things like these and things like, you know, Crestron's experience centers at three or four joints around the around the globe. Sure. Has their experience center. Um, Harmon has several experience centers. Are those ex experience centers interesting to you or is it just is it interesting if it's in geographic proximity to you? And if it's not, then then you're well, just going to show up your stuff. I, I it's it's interesting to me if it's within a decent driving distance for me to go check something out. Right. Okay. That said, I understand that companies are going to place these centers in the most where it makes the most sense from them, from a business perspective. Right. So here you have Dallas, Fort Worth, arguably one of the fastest growing, you know, metropolitan areas in the country. Yeah. To me, that makes logical sense that they would put that there. Right. I would never make a point to go there. Side note, I am going to make a point to go there because I have a client in Dallas and I'm down there about every two weeks. So because it's geographically easy for me to actually go there when I have a down day, when I'm in Dallas, I'm going to go. But if that wasn't the case and I wasn't going down to Dallas every month, right, I would in no way, shape or form go there. Right now, some of the other ones, the restaurants and whomever they're building, you know, sure they're in Chicago. Yeah, That's easy for me. That's easy for you even, right? St. Louis yeah. and Chicago is not that's that's drivable, right? Which is kind of what we're on that, right? So that's a one day trip to go check out some new gear and bring clients, right? If I needed to do that. So um, yeah, to, to answer your question, no, I mean, I would not go unless I, it was convenient for me. You know, in this case, it's going to be convenient for me, but uh, that's the only reason why. Again, I understand the reasoning to it. And if I have clients based there, I would send them there to go check out said technology or whatever else, right? Just to get, just to fulfill that exact experience, which is the goal of that center. So. Yeah. Kelly, I'm, I'm, I hesitated doing this story and, and, and it's because of, of my own recognition of, and I'll, I'll say my big dumb Americanism, right? The, the one thing about being in the U S and growing up in the U S and being a big dumb American is, is I recognize how big our country is in comparison to, to some of the countries, you know, our, our brothers and sisters in, in Europe, right? Um, there are a number of these experience centers in London, and relatively speaking, it's easy if you are in the northern part of, of the UK is to get down to London. It's the same distance as for me to get to Chicago, right? It, it's a four hour train ride. However, here in the States, it's a different animal, right? If, if I'm an integrator in Idaho, right, I, I, I'm, it, it, it's, a, it's a trek to get down to Dallas. Uh, it's a trek to get anywhere from Idaho, but that's beside the point. Um, when you're looking at this and you're talking to clients, you're like, well, I'm, I'm thinking about using... Harmon, right, uh, for something. Um, and they happen to be in somewhere nowhere near the LA Experience Center. It's going to have to be a, a project of significance for them to make that investment to go out there. When you're talking to clients, how are you best getting them in front of technology specifically? So it, it was a little different when I was working primarily based out of Texas, there were a lot more opportunities to take clients to experience centers. But um, believe it or not, being on the design slash consulting side, um, we have a lot of clients who, who will request it or set it up so that we can say, okay, well, you know what, 
you want to do XYZ, let's go to the this experience center, depending on what they're wanting. Um, for instance, we have a active classroom project that we're doing now, and they want a lot of different use cases with a lot of different budgets. And they're not quite sure who they want to use. And there's different manufacturers they have in mind. So one of the things um, we had set up was to have the integrator take them uh, to an experience center and and or provide a demo. And I think you've got to look at manufacturer experience centers versus an integrator driven customer space. Um, so, you know, with the manufacturer experience center, they're usually dedicated to that one specific manufacturer. And in this case, we wanted it to be more integrator driven uh, space so that they could see um, the spaces that they've created by the system integrator, the solution, um, or the, uh, the solution that the providers brought together from different products, from different various manufacturers. And, um, you know, and, and the fact that those spaces are not tied to one manufacturer. So if you're, if you're set on, for instance, Crestron, those, those manufacturer experience centers are great to see what Crestron has to offer and what Crestron, who, who and what Crestron works with. Um, and, you know, the training and workshops that come with it. Um, but it's typically, set up in a way that if a customer does know what they want or they don't know what they want or they know who they want to use, um, that's when we'll kind of say, hey, if this is something you're interested in seeing with your own eyes in person, let's let's go to this experience center. Let's have this, this demo set up for you. Um, so a lot of times we don't even have to try to, to convince them. It's just something that gets brought up in conversation during the design phase or the SD phase, I should say. Um, and, and just kind of a solution oriented conversation that's that kickstarts the idea. And then, um, you know, we, we take them or we have them get with the integrator to set that up. So um, fortunately, it's not something that I have to push too hard on. It's just, uh, you know, and, and I, I think they're beneficial. But as Jeremy said, you know, be, me being in Texas and working remote now, I don't find myself going to them on my own anymore um, as much as I used to, mostly because my clients are out of state. So um, you know, if I was still working primarily based out of Texas, I'd probably be doing, uh, you know, these show and tell field trips a lot more than I, than I have been recently in the last few years. But, um, yeah, it's, it's something that definitely is convenience related. If, if, uh, if it's nearby, I mean, Dallas, like you said, is a trek, it's about four or five yeah. hours. If it's nearby, I'll go, but I, you know, it's not often where I'm at. I'm in outside of Houston and Tomball. So it's not, uh, there's not a lot of experience centers out here to go to. So I'd have to take the day off to go to one if I did. You would have to take, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, again, I, um, I was in, in Houston a number of years ago and, and I have a dear friend that lives in, in Dallas. Um, and I sent him a text. I said, Hey, I'm in Houston. Can you, can you like meet me for a, a cigar? And he just like, dude, what? No. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm in Texas. Yeah, it's not a thing. <laughs> All right. Uh, last story uh, from our website. Blackwire Designs has recently announced the launch of their AV over IP configuration tool aimed at, quote, unquote, simplifying and streamlining video over IP systems. This innovative software prom promises to revolutionize the way professionals design, set up, and manage AV installations, offering an intuitive and user-friendly interface for effortless configuration. Kelly, we'll start with you on this. When you're looking at designing AV over IP systems, are systems like this, are tools like this helpful in, in you know, specking or talking to clients? Because one of the things about 
that I've learned uh, since, since joining an integrator, and Jeremy's going to throw something at me, part of the cost is not just the black boxes, it's the labor, right? It, it is the time that it takes to put up a system. Something like this that's available for over uh, a couple specific, you know, AV over IP solutions. Is that interesting to you? Does that help? Or is it is it just, you know, maybe a, a nice to have when you're designing a system? I think it's more of a nice to have. Um, you know, this isn't a totally new concept. Crestron did this with their digital media switcher configurator. Um, so it was it was similar. I think it does save some time, um, you know, but I think it's only as good as the information you provide. Um, okay. So there is room for error. There is room for um you know, if it's not if it's not designed correctly or configured correctly, then you just all that time you've saved, you're going to have to put back in on the labor side. Um, you know, you, you've got to make sure that whoever is, I guess, configuring this, designing or putting this together needs to understand the customer requirements clearly. They, you know, you need to perf uh, you need to relay the site survey conditions and the right technology and and um, you know, so if any of that is off base or incorrect, you're just adding time later to have to correct that. And I think it's a nice to have, it's a nice way to uh, save some time on the design side. But again, I think it leaves a little bit more room for error than if it was something that you did on site or on the integration side, which I know because I used to be on, I used to work for an integrator. So I know that it can be, it can be time consuming. And I think this definitely would save some time, but I, maybe it's just my lack of trust and somebody else doing something for me. <laughs> I think I just trust I myself to do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jeremy, same kind of question is, you know, when you look at configurators and you look at areas where you can save on labor and save on time, uh, AV over IP is certainly one of them, but what are other areas that we can look at and, and encourage either place pieces like Blackwire or, you know, a lot of our um, distributors are also getting into things like this. Where where else can we look to save time and, and labor? I mean, I don't want to be Mr. Negative, but I kind of agree with Kelly here, right? It's a trust issue, right? I mean, there's been other companies in the past that have tried to do stuff like this. And every time you go to implement said software or said whatever, there's always some custom thing that has to be changed somewhere that ends up being more time consuming to troubleshoot or whatever. Right. Yeah. I, I just have an issue with not this one specifically, maybe it will be awesome. I think I just need to see it. You need to play with it and I'm open to it. Right. Like I'm all about the newest, latest and greatest technology and figuring out how to become more efficient. Right. Efficiency is the thing that I'm screaming at my entire team all the time. Right. I think that as an integrator, we make, decent margins, we make decent labor, but it's all going to come down to efficiency. And yeah. that's where your, where your profitability is at for a company like us, right? It's it's 100% in efficiency. It's not how we're estimating. It's not how we're selling. It's it's just, are the guys efficient? Are the new guys being trained properly? Is the softwares we're deploying easily, you know, easy to set up? Am I having to fight QoS and packet loss on video over IP? So, you know what I mean? And maybe that's going to help fix all kinds of things. Who knows, right? It's just, I'm all about it. And I'd like to see it what specifically could be done? I don't know, right? Because, you know, I'm all about the rinse, rather repeat, you know, the cookie cutter type stuff when you need to be, because that applies to 80% of the use case on a lot of these things. And I'm all about enterprise standardization and user experience standardization, things of that nature. But the reality of what we do calls for custom integration in many forms, right? And in many cases, and 
how we become more efficient with that, I think is going to be a challenge across the board. And that applies from the earliest design phases where, you know, Kelly's getting more involved as well, right? To where even as a design build integrator, we're involved, you know, on that early phase. And how do I become more efficient as a designer? But I'm less concerned about me and I'm more concerned about my team, right? Because, and we can harp about this all day long. We've been complaining about it for years now. All of my staff, which I have a shortage of, right, are all new, right? There's very little, ex, you know, total experiential time, right? Where 15 years ago, if you added up everybody's experience in audiovisual on your team, you'd get to hundreds of years, right? Yeah. A lot of my team, if I add them all up, I'm at like 10. Holy <laughs> cow. Right? Like I got a lot of guys who are, I mean, I got, I got some experienced guys that are training the new guys, right? But I've got a lot of guys who are one, two years on the job in the industry, they're training, they're learning. So my efficiency for me is there. Like that's where what's most important to me. And, you know, I need them learning the fundamentals of AV over IP. And if this tool helps them learn those fundamentals and helps them deploy things faster, I'm a hundred percent on board. But again, it's going to come down to what are the feature sets that's offered? Does it integrate with the stuff that we're selling? Right? Cause there's a million AV over IP solutions out there. Not everybody can sell everything. Right. So we, we lock into our few, right. That we know that we want to support that treat us well and have great service. And, and as long as that backs that up, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with it. So. All right. That'll be a good place to stop. Thank you both so much. Kelly Teal from HGA. Uh, thank you, ma'am. How do people get a hold of you or HGA? Uh, LinkedIn. That's the only place right now <laughs> under Kelly Teal. All right. All right. Very good. Mr. Caldera. Good to see you, bud. Um, yeah, you as well. Uh, I, I mentioned the fact that Jeremy and I, Jeremy and I are going to go hang out with the folks at Sure. I, I didn't mention that at the beginning because you can't go hang out with us. Uh, but he and I are going to Sure next next week. Uh, but where can people connect with you or Pearl Technology? Uh, PearlTechnology.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Um, I used to be more active on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. So uh, not, not so much anymore. But you can find me on there if you really want. So, But mostly just uh, LinkedIn and PearlTechnology.com. And if you if you take a class at Infocom uh, next year in Vegas, <clears throat> there's a good chance that you'll have uh, Mr. Caldera uh, hanging out with Chuck Espinoza as well. Good, a good fun couple three days. So uh, check that out. I, I say I say that. Who knows? You might get kicked out next year. Now I say that out loud. So <laughs> we'll we'll see how it goes. This year was good though. We had a lot of good reviews. So I just got all my good. reviews back. Good. About a week if you got good reviews, then you'll yeah you'll be back. Um, all right. Uh, for me, for Tom Albright, do not follow me on X and don't follow me on Twitters and don't follow me on threads or anything else. But go by the website, avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv. You will find this program and a host of others. Again, you want to come hang out? Uh, Cedia uh, and CI Expo. I am happy to be going there and hanging out. I'll go to Mr. Caldera's class at, uh, at that location and bounce around um I, I believe mr netta will be there as well uh and then the very that's in denver uh 6th 7th and 8th of um september and the very next week we will be in austin for ucx usa uh a buddy of, of jeremy and i um justin watts will be there uh, he lives in austin so it's easy for him but the rest of us will hang out too hetma will be joining us uh and again we're going to aim to get chris netto a, a pineapple pizza so all that and more at avianation.tv that's avianation.tv thanks so much for listening thank you so much for watching that's all the time we have for av week